listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I want to show you, um, we're going to take several broadcasts to look at several different ways to study the word. As you saw in the description today, we're going to look at topical study of the word of God, which is one of the best and easiest ways to get into um, Bible study. And so I want to make a couple comments about that, but I'm going to guide you through today. I'm going to take you to a couple of websites that will be very helpful to you. You may know about them. You may not know about them. I'm going to show you a couple of uh uh, tools that I use that you could easily use as well. And, um, and so I want, I want you to stick with me on this because this is so important. There are so many people that are not interpreting the Bible correctly and they just, it's, it's really blows my mind. <laughs> Some of the stuff people come out of the Bible with, but I want to start by doing a session on topical Bible uh, study, which is what we're going to do today. Uh, of course, as I mentioned, we'll be live again tonight at seven, building your uh, faith. And listen, today, if you guys have questions as we're going through this, I want to hear them uh, and, and we'll do our best to to a- answer some of those questions and, and get into this. I don't really want to do any announcements before I get going, so I'm just going to jump right in. Um, of course, I sent out a text this morning for those of you that are connected. And if you don't, uh, if you're not connected with me via text, you can sign up right there at miracleword.com forward slash text and be a part of that text family. You can text me. I can text you back. And uh, so I want to encourage you to go do that if you haven't done it. Also, let me just make an announcement up front. If you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please do that. Go to YouTube, search my name, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr., and you'll find our channel has like, I don't know, about 18-something thousand subscribers, 200 and some videos uh, please subscribe. It means a lot to me and it helps me get the word of God out to more and more people. And uh, so do those two things if you would. All right. A couple of things I want to talk about right off the bat. First of all, number one, I want to talk about um, Bible translations because this does make a difference when you start to study the Bible. And so I do want to make a couple of, of notes to you guys today uh, about Bible. Bible. I was in Barnes, Barnes and Noble before everything shut down. And uh, they had this up on the wall, and I thought, man, that is that is really awesome that they make that available in Barnes and Noble for people. And I don't even know who produced this because uh, it doesn't have like um, it doesn't have like a uh, a copyright on it or anything. It's just literally somebody printed it, and it's in all the Barnes and Nobles that I've seen in the. If you go to the Bible section, but this is the uh, this is a Bible translation purchasing guide. This thing is awesome. Uh, yeah, God's Word translation. I've heard of that, Andrew. And uh, when you open it up, it actually breaks down all the major translations with a uh, where are we at a translation spectrum right here. And if you don't know about translation spectrum or the two philosophies of Bible translation, there's word for word as much as possible translations, and then there's thought for thought translations as much as possible, and then you have paraphrases. So they're actually called um, formal equivalents. That's word for word. Then you have what's called dynamic or functional equivalents. That's thought for thought. And then you have paraphrases. And so um, when you're studying the Bible, it's helpful 
to have a couple of uh, translations around with you. It's helpful to have that. And uh, the reason being is because not only do you want to understand what the Bible is saying, but you want to see as much as possible um, what the Bible actually said in the original language word for word as much as possible. And so um, I want to just talk about a couple of different uh, translations that I use. And I know that you guys do. I put out a poll not long ago on Twitter and Facebook about what your preferred Bible translation was. And uh, it was not very surprising to me that the majority of you that answered, and it was like almost 400 of you answered the question, um, the majority were using the New Living Translation, which is fine. I like, I have the New Living. It's actually the Bible that we're sending out to everybody that's partnering with us. This is the Life Application Study Bible in the New Living Translation. And I've used the New Living for years. In fact, um, the first New Living Translation I ever got I was the best man at my cousin Jonathan's wedding, and um, he got for all of his groomsmen, he got really nice uh, leather New Living Translation <clears throat> Bibles, and I still have mine that uh, that he gave me. He was married the same year that I was, 2006. Uh, I believe his was in the fall, mine was in the spring, and uh, I, I was... Uh, his best man. And he gave me that as, uh, uh, my gift for being his best man. And it's phenomenal. It's a, Hey, there's my friend, Tim Adams. Love you. My friend, greatest guitar player in the world folks has just logged onto the broadcast. I feel honored today to have Tim Adams. So <clears throat> my cousin, Jonathan gave me, uh, that Bible as my gift. <clears throat> I still have it. I've preached out of that Bible for years and years and years since, since we got into ministry, we were both just really kind of uh, coming into full-time ministry. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, what's interesting, Pastor Bill's, uh, Motley's asking, should churches have service when police say they'll break up the meeting? I feel strong. Our doors need to stay open. Um, I, it's, it's interesting. I've not heard that Pastor Bill, uh, all of the, I've had several reports from pastors around the country where their fire marshals and their police officers and sheriffs are saying, if you're going to have church, just have it. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to count the people. We're not going to show up. Just do your thing. So maybe it's different where Pastor Bill is. Um, I've not heard, but uh, I, I understand what you're saying. Feel, feel strongly that the doors need to stay open for the people. Uh, but getting back to this, um, the New Living Translation is, uh, you know, I had somebody telling me the other day that at their Bible study, somebody was criticizing the, the New Living Translation and saying, well, that's not a real translation of the Bible. That's a paraphrase. That's not true. The New Living Translation is an actual translation of the Bible. 90 scholars, 90 Bible scholars took, I believe, six years to translate the Bible into the New Living Translation. I think it was back in 2006 was the first time it came out or something like that. Uh, but it is an actual, what they might be thinking about is the living Bible. The living Bible is a paraphrase, but the new living translation is an actual translation of scripture done by 90 translators, uh, over about a six year period. It's been revised, I think, uh, and updated, I should say, uh, maybe three or four times since then, some of them very small updates, but, uh, it is a translation of the Bible. However, it's on one end of the spectrum over here as more of a thought for thought translation of the Bible. Then on the far other side, you have things like the King James Version, the New King James, the New American Standard Bible, 
and then coming back towards the middle a little bit, you have what I use preaching now, the English Standard Version. Um, and then if I were to compare the NASB, the New American Standard, to the ESV, these are more word-for-word translations of the Bible, which is why I use them when we study the Bible. Because obviously, I want to know what the words were, the actual words that were being used when the, the, the writers were writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't just want to know what thoughts that they were saying, because think of it, the more you go in that direction, the more you're having somebody tell you what the Bible means rather than actually reading what it says and determining what it uh, means by interpretation. So the ESV is what I use now to preach and to teach. And um, so let me just give you an example, okay, of, uh, <clears throat> of some of these differences. Um, so I'm going to read to you, for example, uh, they have this in the Bible Translation Purchasing Guide. It's, good, it's a good example. Um, they have for, for you, like here's the English Standard Version of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this. This is the ESV. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Now, listen to the New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. You hear that? So you hear how that, that, that translation is a little bit more, it flows easier for modern day speakers. And of course, remember this, the New Living Translation is written at a fifth grade reading level, whereas the ESV is written at an eighth grade reading level. And the King James Version is a 12th grade reading level. By the way, the average American reads at about the fifth grade level. That's why so many people love the NLT. Um, Love is patient and kind. So if we compared the two, they both say love is patient and kind, but then the ESV says love does not envy or boast, whereas the NLT says uh, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Uh, the ESV says it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And so then you said uh, it does not demand its own way. ESV, it does not insist on its own way. NLT, and it keeps no record of being wronged. And then in the ESV, it is not irritable or resentful. It is not resentful. Um, you look at the passion, the, someone's mentioning the passion translation. The passion translation is, in my opinion, more of a paraphrase. I would never use it for anything in regards to Bible study. It was done by one guy, Brian Simmons, who thinks that he found the love language of the Bible and who publicly said at one point, that God was going to reveal to him the 22nd chapter of the gospel of John, which he'll make available at some future time. I don't know when. So I, I would never use the Passion Translation for anything, nor would I use the Message Bible. I don't know why anybody would pick up a, a paraphrase of God's holy word and, and, and choose that as their preferred. I mean, I don't know why anybody would do it. It's basically not even a, I mean, a commentary does a better job of staying truthful to what the Bible says than a paraphrase. And so I, I, I would never use either of those. So if, if you're listening to what I'm having, what I say, I would suggest you never use the message Bible or the passion translation for anything you're doing. If you're serious about Bible study and if you're serious about the word of God, 
uh, get something that's going to help you see. <clears throat> I've never even heard of the Gateway Bible, but you know we have so. Here's the thing. Just think about this with me. We have an abundance, an abundance of. English translations of the Bible. We don't need any more. We have extremely well done English translations of the Bible. Let me, the King James version is a fine version of the Bible. It's just a bit archaic. We don't talk like that anymore, but the new King James version, uh, the ESV is a phenomenal translation of the Bible. The new American standard Bible is a phenomenal Bible. Uh, Chris, the Dakes Bible is not an actual Bible translation. It's just his notes on the King James Version of the Bible. So Finnis Dake actually wrote, it's almost like his commentary on the King James Version of the Bible. So um, the Amplified Bible, by the way, is all the way towards the word for word. um, And it's a good translation of the Bible. And it's all the way, basically what they do in the Amplified, and I have a, a version of it here. It's long. The reason it's always longer is because it tells you everything in English that that Greek or Hebrew word could mean when you're translating it. So the Amplified, reading the same passage we just read in the Amplified, listen to what it says. Love endures with patience and serenity. <clears throat> Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. So it's a broad, and this is the translation philosophy. It is a broadly formal equivalent translation. That's word for word with explanatory alternate readings and amplifications of the text. So that's, that's what it's doing. Um, and that's, and that's what it is. Uh, (laughs) the message is like a mess. (laughs) Just take the A G E off the end. The message is a mess. (laughs) So I I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into it. Um, so anyway, one of the things that, uh, that I want to deal with is, you know, it's not wrong. It's not wrong that we have a couple of translations with us while we're studying the Bible. It's helpful. Uh, for example, uh, there's a passage in the Bible where it talks about, uh, Pharisees were listening to Jesus teach. And then after they heard him teach, they were all upset about what he said. And so the Bible says in one translation, a more word for word translation, it says, and they returned home beating their breasts, beating their breasts. Well, that's what the words actually say in the manuscript, the Greek manuscript, they returned home beating their breasts. Well, that's what the word says. But do we know what that means without context? Do we know what that means without a little bit of background, historical study, uh, cultural study, knowing what that meant? You know, we might think that that means that, you know, like we all we may know is a gorilla beats their chest when they're trying to show dominance. Is that what the Pharisees were doing? Were they beating their breasts because they were trying to show dominance? No. If you read the New Living Translation, it kind of explains that cultural uh, stuff for you with a footnote that gives you the actual literal translation. So one of the things I do like about uh, the New Living is that even though it may do some of these uh, commentary style things for you, at the bottom of the page, there will be a footnote um, where it'll show you um, what the literal translation actually was. Let me, uh, let me actually go to that for you and show it to you. 
So I'm going to pull out here uh, Luke 23:48, and this is the this is the New Living Translation that we have right here. Luke 23 and uh, verse 48. And so uh, listen to this. So in the New Living, look look what it says. In the New Living Translation, verse 48, And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. You see how the NLT renders that? Then there's, there, there's, and I know you can't see this, but there is an asterisk letting you know that there's going to be a footnote. When you go down to the footnote at the bottom, it says for verse 48, the Greek manuscript says they went home beating their breasts. So you see that? So the, the philosophy of translation for the new living is because if, if you were a Greek speaking person in the new, in the early church and you would have read the Bible at that time in the Greek manuscripts, well, guess what? You would have instantly known not only what it said, you would have known what it meant. Like if you were a Greek speaking person, you know, in a, you know, AD 90 and you got, you know, the, the gospel of Luke and you were reading a manuscript copy of this story about after the crucifixion and, and you would have read and they were returned home beating their breasts you would have known as a Greek speaking person of that culture in that day, what it meant. You would have known that they went home in deep sorrow. They went home in deep sorrow. So what the translators are doing for us in 2020 is that they're trying to get across to us the exact same instant understanding that those people would have had when they read the scriptures in those days. So instead of us having to go through this whole thing, be like, oh, well, what, what does that mean to beat their breath? Because it's not our cultural phrase. So we read it here. They went home in deep sorrow with an asterisk so that we can also know what the manuscript originally said. You see what I mean? So what is the downside? Well, the, the downside to that could be that someone is now explaining to you what the original text actually means. So that means you're getting into a little bit of commentary here. You're getting into a little bit of interpretation, Bible interpretation. And what happens is, is if you go too deep with that, you're now at the mercy of the interpreter. You're at the mercy of the interpreter. Of course, these, I'm not saying that there's any kind of uh, conspiracy or that these guys are trying to invoke their own uh, doctrine, which does happen, but try to make you believe something that they believe, all of that. What, what I'm trying to show you is, is that in their efforts to make the Bible instantly understandable to you, they're doing a bit of interpreting of what the original manuscript actually says. Of course, we want to know what Luke wrote. If I'm doing Bible study, I want to know not what someone thinks he meant. I want to know what he actually wrote down from the Holy Spirit. That's why people that study the Bible prefer to have a word-for-word translation as much as possible. Now, you might ask me the question, if the NASB um, is more literal than the ESV, why do you use the ESV instead of the NLT? And the reason is, 
is because the more, and maybe I'll show this to you. Maybe I'll show this to you um, on the screen. Let me see if I can get it. But let me let me go to this first. Luke 23, uh, 48. <clears throat> now, now, listen to what the ESV says. The ESV on that same verse, Luke 23, 48, the Bible says, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And so the ESV gives us exactly what the Greek manuscript said. It doesn't try to interpret it for us. It gives us. Now, let me just make give you a side note here. It is impossible for any English translation to be fully word for word to the original Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. It's impossible because there are things that are said that in, in Greek or Hebrew that that could not be said or understood properly in English. So there has to be at some points, some interpretation. Nothing is purely word for word in, in the English language. Let me give you an example. Um, here's a great way to say it, okay? The word love. Now, we say love for everything in English. We say love for everything. Man, I love Chipotle, okay? And someone else may say, yeah, I love Chipotle too. But we would know, you know, if I said to you, man, I love my son, Teddy. And then if I went on to say, man, I love my wife. But then if I want to say, man, I love my pastor. But then if I want to say, man, I really love the Lord. Okay. I just gave you five different ways that I use the word love in the English language. And none of them meant the same thing. None of them meant the same thing. I love Chipotle. I love my son. I love my wife. I love my pastor. I love the Lord. Though it's five ways to use the word love. And in now think about this. In the Greek language, there are different words for love that mean all of those different things. And so when they were writing about love in, in the Greek language, they would have written the word for love that corresponds with the context of the love you're trying to show. Do I, you know, it's like when we were growing up, if people said, man, I love Chipotle and people like some little kid would say, well, if you love it so much, why don't you marry it? You know, you remember hearing that? Well, that's because <clears throat> once again, the context of love has to be put in the context of the phrase. When I say I love Chipotle, which I don't really love Chipotle. I love Taco Bell, but I felt shamed for saying that, but I love Taco Bell. Well, you know, if I say I love Taco Bell, Taco Bell, nobody on this broadcast or nobody hearing me speak is ever going to think that I'm in love with Taco Bell and want to have a romantic relation. You might think that, but <laughs> that I want to have a romantic relationship with Taco Bell. You understand it to mean that I really, really like Taco Bell's food. You know, if, if, if no one's going to leave here and argue, well, Ted's got an issue because he has a romantic relationship with Taco Bell and wants to marry Taco Bell and have children with it. No, you know that I mean, I just really like their food. But then if I said that, uh, second example, I said it about my son. I have a paternal love, a parental love for my son. And so, I mean, I really love Teddy. I love Teddy. Teddy. Well, you understand immediately that I'm not speaking of just the fact that, well, I like Teddy. No, I love Teddy, but you also understand it's not in a romantic aspect, but it's in a paternal parental aspect that I'm saying I love my son. But then 
if I say that I love my wife, you all know what I mean by that. You, you know that I mean, <clears throat> I don't just like her like I like Taco Bell. And I don't just have uh, some kind of a paternal or uh, whatever kind of a lover. I actually have a romantic love for my wife. I have a romantic love for her. And so in, in the Greek language, there's different words for this. And then there's the God kind of love. That is, and we use the word agape. Agape <clears throat> is the Greek word for the God kind of love or spiritual love. So when God loves the world or we love the Lord, I don't have a romantic relationship with the Lord. Understand, I have the God kind of love for my Lord. And so, but then there's phileo. That's a different kind of love. <clears throat> That's what is called brotherly love. That's where we get, you know, we have the uh, the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, it's this that's why it's called the city of brotherly love because those words in the Greek language, phileo and adelphoi mean uh love of brothers. Love of brothers. Phileo, adelphoi, love of brothers. So you understand that's where we get Philadelphia from. It's the city of brotherly love. So that so phileo is a different kind of love than agape is. Eros. Eros is where we get like the word for erotic. That's the base of the word erotic. Eros is a different kind of love than phileo is. I don't have, uh, you know, a, although I do because she's my sister in Christ, but agape is not the kind of husband kind of love I have for my wife. And, and phileo would not be correct. It's more of an eros kind of love. It's a romantic kind of love. So, you know, exactly. So you have to understand in the Greek and in the Hebrew, there's ways to say these things that in English, there's just not a way to say it with one word. You can't take one word and translate it into one word in English and expect them to correspond. They won't. So if I say phileo, you could, you could, uh, you could translate it in English, the love of the brothers or brotherly love. If I, if I said eros, I could translate it to romantic love. Or, you know, if I, if I said agape, I could say the God kind of love or the love of God. So understand, we want to know what the writers wrote. What did they write on the paper? As they were inspired by the Holy Ghost, what did they write on the parchment? And here in Luke 23, 48, we know what they wrote. They wrote, they returned home beating their breasts. That helps us because there's, it, now in this instance, as we're studying the Bible, there's no buffer between what the writer wrote and what I'm reading. I'm reading what he wrote. But see, also, that's why I like a tool like the New Living Translation, because they're faithful. They're faithful that even though they translate it for you in an instantly understandable way, they're not hiding from you what the original manuscripts say or said. So you've got those footnotes all at the bottom that are telling you, like, I'll give you another example. Here's one in uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 41. Then Jesus told them or told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one. Well, the actual Greek says 500 denarii. But do you know what that ancient money system is? Do you know what a, a denarius is or a denarii? Do you, do you even, no one knows. And, and if you go to the beginning of your Bible, many times they'll tell you their translation philosophy for uh, rules, measurements, and, and money and translation of money. It tells you that at the beginning of the Bible. 
So here, so that just so that you can get a quick, as you're reading through, you don't have to stop. So what's Denari? You can actually understand he gave him 500 pieces of silver. Now the they're not telling you some value. They're not trying to do, uh, you know, value that's inflated after 2000 years. They're just letting you know in, in context of the story, what happened. And so you get those footnotes, you get all of those footnotes. Well, something that's great about a, a Bible like this, the application study Bible is that not only do you get those footnotes, which are in every new living translation, but at the bottom you also get tons and tons of notes that are written by the scholars that went into uh, doing the study Bible. So as I was just showing you there where, where it's telling you the story of the denarii, you know, 500 denarii, that was in the 41st verse. Well, you can go through and at the bottom, I know you can't see it, but there's at the bottom, there's tons of these little paragraphs that you're seeing here. It's all notes to give you background, history, context as you're doing these studies. And so it's helpful. I wanted to give you, I wanted to show you here. So I told you today, we're going to study topical. We're studying topical um, Bible study, which is important by the way, topical Bible study, very important. And uh, I wanted to just kind of show you something. Now we're talking about Bible translations and um, let me see if I can just pull up just straight up. Uh, John 3.16 is a verse that everybody should know pretty much by heart. But I wanted to show you this because on the far, far end of the spectrum, we have what's called the interlinear Bible. It's the interlinear. And I'm sorry if I can't uh, see your comments right now because I'm going to show you this. Uh, I'm going to show you this uh, screen real quick. So if we pulled up John 3.16... In the interlinear Bible, this is what it looks like. And I just wanted you to see it. So here's the interlinear. Okay. So what it does is it shows you what the Greek words are in the manuscript. Now, by the way, you can't see it on the screen, but I'm getting this interlinear from biblehub.com. Biblehub.com. And then you can click on their interlinear Bible. This is John 3.16. So what it's trying to do in the Greek language, if you don't know this, they don't have to have the same word order that we have. So look, as you're reading this in Greek, what it actually literally says, if you transliterate it, thus for loved God, the world that the son, the only begotten he gave so that everyone believing in him not should perish, but should have life eternal. So that's John 3.16 in the interlinear Bible. What it's trying to do there, it's showing you how the Greek is laid out in the manuscript. So, hutos, gar, and I can't re re read this very well yet, agapason, uh, hatheos. So, thus for loved God. And see this, this word right here, agapason, is a form of agape. As you can see, it's showing you, as we just spoke about a moment ago, agapason, this form in this context of the word love, it's showing you that God had a God kind of love or a spiritual love for the world, for the cosmon. That's the world at large. So as I'm reading the interlinear, this is as literal as you can get 
in the Bible, the interlinear, but no one's going to read this in church. I mean, no one's going to stand up on a Sunday morning to be super uh, loyal to the original text. Say, let's open our Bibles to the interlinear John three sixteen. Thus for loved God, the world that the son, the only begotten he gave so that everyone believing in him should not perish, but should have life eternal. I mean, it, and this is an easier one. It gets very crazy with the word order in other, in other um, verses, but you understand that here, um, you know, it just helps us in, in straight Bible study. But then look at this. Here's what I did want you to see. And this is a great tool if you're studying and we're getting into word, studying the words of the text. Here's a really cool thing, because as you're reading this, you can see like, here's the word for love. And you can see it says loved underneath. And then of course, the word for God, theos, uh, and it's, it's uh, obviously it, it changes its form in different, different contexts, but you can then look at these words. Um, like for example, let's look at love. See, here's the word loved and it'll show you if you cursor over it, the, um, the number, the, these are Strong's numbers. If you've ever used a Strong's concordance, these are Strong's numbers over the top of each of these Hebrew transliterated words so that if you want to do a deeper word study, you could actually come in here and see if you just hover over it. It says Strong's Greek 25, to love, wish well to, to take pleasure in, to long for. It denotes the love of reason, esteem, perhaps from again to from Agon to love. So you could do it that way, or you could literally just click on this word and it'll take you to another page. It's a Englishman's concordance and you can go down through and look. Now here's what's cool is it shows you how many times it occurs in the Bible. 143 occurrences in, in the Bible shows you some of the different ones in different translations. So Mark chapter 10, verse 21, and the King James says, beholding him, loved him. It's the same word. The interlinear, having looked upon him, loved him and the new American standard at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said, and then of course it gives you the Greek text above it. And you can go down through and see the different places that this Greek word for love is used um, in the, the different verses and texts of scripture so that you can understand better what this word means as you're studying it. And we'll come back to that in a minute. And I'm going to show you a little bit more, but that, as you see and that, by the way, that's on biblehub.com, um, biblehub.com. And so, uh, there's, there's a few different sites and I'm going to show you a couple of cool ones that'll really help you. Love you. Love you, Dave. Um, th these will show you how to really use these in such a way that it'll help you study the word. So we're talking about topical study. So let's go in and I'm going to show you another one. If you go into, um, this is, I'm going to open up for you. This is my, uh, olive tree Bible reader app. And if those of you that are asking me about, you know, what do you use? Um, because I, I like to have it all like on my iPad and on my iPhone, I like to use the olive tree Bible app because, um, you can have all your translations inside the app that you've purchased from their bookstore, whatever. But not only that, there's a lot of stuff in the app that you can buy. At the time that I was looking, it was the only place I could find a digital version of Dake, Dake's notes of the Bible, which I've used since I was a kid. My father's used, my grandfather used. 
I love Dake's notes on the Bible, but it was the only place I could find a digital version of them in their bookstore. It was in the Olive Tree Bible app. So if you get Olive Tree, you can get it on your phone. You can get it on your tablet. You can get it for your desktop. And of course, I'm on my laptop right now. So uh, if I show you this, um, I'm, I'm going to show you how I would do a topical study. But here's here's what it looks like. Um, this is the Olive Tree uh, Bible Reader. On this side, I've got my Bible translation open, obviously. And on this side, this is kind of the resource area. And so what I'm doing, I could go to the resource guide and put a commentary here or notes here or whatever and lock them up so that as I scroll text, um, it would scroll to match what verse I'm at and give me the notes or the commentary for that verse. But what I did here, as you can see uh, up in the corner here, I typed the word joy because let's say we were going to do a topical study on the word joy. So what I did is I just typed the word joy and then what it's going to, if I went back, it will show you now in all of these Bible translations, American standard, amplified English standard, King James, how many times the word joy shows up in each of these Bible translations. You see that? So if I go into what I use normally, the English standard version, the word joy occurs 188 times in the English standard version of the Bible. So if I click in there, it is going to now take me through every place in the ESV where the word joy is used. And I can see here, Judges 19.3, it's used. First uh, Samuel 18.6, First Kings 1.40. And you can see some of these are too long to see joy, so you'd have to click into them. But like, look down here, First Kings, you can see it's highlighted. There it is, joy. Uh, you go down to, and these are a little too long, but this one's not. Uh, First Chronicles 15, 16, you see joy is highlighted. Anywhere your word that you searched shows up, you're going to find joy. The same thing can be done. And uh, let me see if I can do this here. Uh, let me go to Bible. Another place that we we uh, I like to use a lot is Bible Gateway. Um, BibleGateway.com is a great resource. And then I'm going to show you one more in a second. But let me switch back over to my... Uh, internet browser. All right. So here we're back in and we're in biblegateway.com. Now, if I were to go up here just to the top, and of course I'm searching in the English standard version. If I go back here to the top and just type joy and hit enter, it's going to now pull up all of the places where joy shows up in the English standard version. Um, now, as I'm scrolling, you can see in this on this website, it makes it bold. And it, the reason you might be asking, well, how come it says up here there was it shows up 188 times, and down here you, it says it shows up 203 times? Well, look what they're doing. Even if a word is not just joy, it's joyful. It's going to include it on the on the web on the uh, internet search. See this joyful. So I was just looking for joy, but it's giving me anywhere joy shows up, joyfulness. See, so it's showing you. And on the sidebar here, it shows you how many times it shows up in the Old Testament and then breaks down each book. Where does it talk about joy in the book of Job? Well, six times. If I clicked on that, this here would change to the six times that Job uses the word joy in English language. You can see here Acts 4. Uh, all these places. So if we went back to the Psalms, okay, let's click into Psalms 51 times. 
We click it. It opens up. And here we go, starting with Psalm 4 and verse 7. And you can see that um, it's going to list for you every time the word joy shows up. Now, of course, this is a Hebrew word um, that is translated joy. And if you wanted to go deeper into what the Hebrew word means, once again, you could go to some sort of a concordance or uh, back to the interlinear, as I was showing you before. So we're looking down. All right, here's one that I quote all the time. Uh, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. So let me come back to me on the screen here. So if we were going to start a study on the word joy, Karen's asking, what's your opinion on the YouVersion app? It's just an app that's just like Bible Gateway that gives you all these different versions of the Bible, uh, you know, on your phone or on your tablet that you can browse through them. I have it. You know, I like it. It's just a way to go through all the different translations of the Bible. Yeah, Bible Gateway does have audio versions as well. And so does version. It it is great for the morning. Um, Logos Bible Software, Caleb, is really great. Um, It's just that a lot of that you have to buy and it can get really expensive. Um, But it is great and I use it all the time. Uh, so let me explain something to you. If we were going to do a topical study on the word joy, you might ask yourself some questions to start out. You might say, okay, number one, um, how do I get joy? Um, is joy different natural joy than spiritual joy? What's the difference between natural joy and spiritual joy? How do I get joy? What does joy do for me? Uh, when I do get it, are there benefits to having joy or is it just a happy feeling? So these are some questions like, let's say that you were going to start and say, okay, I'm going to do a topical study on joy. What are my goals for the study? Well, I want to know how to get joy. Number one, I want to know how to get joy. I want to know what joy does for me once I do get it. See, these are very basic questions. So if you're writing it down or have it in a tablet, write the questions first and say, okay, First column, how do I get joy? Second column, what does joy do? And you could do a third column if you want to keep on going. Um, Natural joy versus supernatural joy. And so let's get into that. So let's let's say we go back to, uh, to studying. Okay, the first question we asked is how do we get joy? So let me pop you back over to the word study. How do we get joy? Well, as we did this uh, study on joy, we just pulled up every verse in the Bible, in the English standard version that has the word joy in it. And we come across Psalm 1611 as we're studying. Okay. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy. So we could write that down. We could write that down in, under the, the uh, passage. How do we get joy? So we're asking our we're answering the question we asked at the beginning. Uh, how do we get joy? Well, the Bible says, in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. So we could answer the question. Joy comes from being in the presence of God. But do you see what just happened now to us? Now that we've done that. We now know, okay, I know one of the ways joy comes is by being in God's presence. So that opens up a rabbit hole here. The next question becomes, all right, 
How do I get into his presence? Right? So if I know joy is found in his presence, my next question is, how do I get in his presence to get that joy? Okay? So then um, we, we, could, we could start to continue to study the word of God. And, uh, you know, don't ever feel bad uh, if you're ever using Google. I mean, it's, Google is a search engine. It's for people that are trying to do searches. Don't feel bad if you're searching through uh, commentaries or searching through these, these websites. You're studying the Bible. You're trying to find answers. It's just make sure that you always, always are looking at what is the source of the information that I'm getting. That, uh, that, that's an amazing question because... Uh, many times people will will get a source that's not good, a source that is suspect. You know, I've heard people get on, you know, broadcasts like this and start to talk about why, uh, you know, certain books should or shouldn't be in the Bible. And they don't have, they, they completely disregard all of Christian scholarship and say, well, I was on this website that said, you know, that we should have this book in the Bible and, and listen to the reasons this website gave. And they disregard all of Christian history they, they disregard all of Bible scholarship because some website said that this book should have been in the Bible with the rest of the books. And it's a mistake. Don't disregard what godly men have done for 2,000 years. Yes, is the source credible? Look at the source. Look at all sides of this. All right. So we know, uh, and we could go on to, to talk about this, we know that one of the ways that we can bring God's presence into our atmosphere. And I've taught this for years and you know it. What does the Bible say in Psalm 22 and verse three? The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. So one of the things that pulls God's presence, pulls you into God's presence is praising God. Okay, so now we see a link. Now what we're doing is we see a link between supernatural joy of the Lord and praising the Lord. We've just found a link because we know, we read it in Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. So we know in order to access that joy, we got to get into his presence. I've got to get into his presence. Well, I also know that by praising him, I am activating that presence or pulling myself into his presence. A great narrative version of this can be found in uh, Mark chapter 10, because in Mark chapter 10, we have the story of blind Bartimaeus. You know the story of blind Bartimaeus. And the Bible says that he is Jesus and his disciples are leaving the city of Jericho and they're headed somewhere else. But look at this. I'll read it to you. Mark chapter 10 verses 46 on to the end of the chapter. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, now watch this interesting thought here. When the, when the term Jesus of Nazareth is used to describe Jesus, it's pointing at his uh, humanity. The fact that he was a natural man. Well, isn't this Jesus from Nazareth? What is it saying? Well, he's the son of a carpenter. He's the son of Joseph. 
And so that means that because Bartimaeus heard it, it means people were saying it because he was blind. So he heard people saying, here comes Jesus of Nazareth. Here comes Jesus. And that's what they were saying. But notice this. Don't you think there were many people in the crowd outside of Jericho that needed miracles? Of course there were. But Jesus did not stop for any of them. The Bible says he just kept on going. But notice what happened here. The Bible says Jesus passed through and the blind man began to cry out. What was he crying? He said, number one, Jesus, son of David. That's different. That is different than saying Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, son of David was his messianic name. It was saying what Bartimaeus was truly saying when he cried that out was Jesus, Messiah, chosen one, anointed one, Christ, son of God. Notice this. It's very important that you see it. Bartimaeus was not crying out for a carpenter. He was crying out for a Messiah, a healer, a son of God. It's a big difference because in just using that name, in just using that term, he was praising Jesus. He was praising him. You know what he was saying? I believe you are who you say you are. I call you Christ. I call you anointed one. I call you son of God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it shows you that he had faith as he's praising him because anybody with a brain understands that if you're blind, a carpenter cannot make you new eyes out of wood. So Bartimaeus wasn't calling out for a carpenter. He was calling out for the son of God to have mercy on him, faith. But notice, just by calling him that, he was praising him. He was praising him. So what what is he doing here? He's praising him. And notice what Jesus' response is. Jesus, have mercy on me. And verse 49, and Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. How did no one else in an entire crowd stop Jesus, but one man did? Because this man, while everybody else is saying, here goes the carpenter's son, this man cries out and says, I need the Messiah. I need the anointed one, the Christ to have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Why? Because Jesus could not have left him as he was praising him. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. Look what his next words are. And he stopped and said, call him, meaning bring him here, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? So notice this, not only could Jesus not leave, he had to bring the man into his proximity. Why? God inhabits the praises. If you're going to start praising me, I've got to be right here with you. Be right here with you. And Bartimaeus got right up in the vicinity of Jesus. And Jesus then asked him a question that is so encouraging. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to receive my sight. It's not that Jesus didn't know what was going on. Of course, he sees him like, you know, trying to feel his way. He's blind. Jesus could see that he was blind, but Jesus wanted to know where his faith was at. What do you have faith that I can do? Because Jesus can't force it on you. He has to work with your faith. 
What do you want me to do? That I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Hallelujah. So when you understand the power of God and how it works, you see that this man's praise brought him. Now let's go back here to Psalm 1611, because I want to show you what else this verse says that happened to this man all in one moment, happened to Bartimaeus all in one moment. Look at this, the Bible. And we're here in Psalm 1611. I'll highlight it so that you know where we're at. Well, will it let me? Yeah. All right. So look at this. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you don't just get joy in his presence, but you can access the pleasures that are in his right hand. So Bartimaeus didn't just gain access to joy in the presence of the Lord, but God had a miracle for him. There were pleasures for Bartimaeus to take part in that actually happened because he began to praise God. So he unlocked this ability to praise the Lord and to get into the joy of the Lord as he praised him. And notice what happened. He didn't just benefit from the joy, but he benefited from the pleasures that were in the right hand of God. Hallelujah. And so you can go through one of the great ways to get going. And I'm going to give you this before I pray for you today. And then we're coming back tonight. Don't miss the spirit of faith session. Number three tonight. I'm going to build your faith tonight with this one. It's in my spirit already. But I want you to see this um, as you're going through one of the first things to do for topical Bible study, and you could even print it out if you wanted or save it to some sort of a, a desktop application like Microsoft OneNote, which is free, Evernote, something like that, and create folders where you're doing these studies. But you go in and you can start to look and see. Now, let me let me go back because I want to show you. Um, and so, and for this one, it's not going to be as uh, as deep necessarily because of the fact Joy basically means joy. <laughs> joy basically means joy. And so if I click on, what does the what does that English word for joy mean in, in Greek? And then you click on it and say, oh, it actually means joy. <laughs> and there, there's words that'll be different. There are words that will be different, but I wanted to show you, let me go back here and show you this real quick. So we're back in the interlinear at biblehub.com. And uh, we're here in Acts chapter eight, and we're seeing what, how, how is there a, here's another, if you're answering the question in your columns there, well, how does joy come? Well, Philip went to Samaria uh, and preached Christ unto them. And the Bible says, let me go up and read it to you here. Uh, they saw Philip uh, with one accord in the time to hear him and see the signs that he was performing. Many for those having spirits that were unclean, crying out in a loud voice were coming out of them. And many having been paralyzed and lame were healed. Okay. So look what, what, what was happening. Not only did Peter or did uh, Philip preach the gospel, but he started to perform signs and wonders and miracles in the city of Samaria. Demons were coming out. The paralyzed were healed, the lame, the crippled, the sick, they were healed. And look at the result of the gospel preached miracles, signs, and wonders performed verse eight. And there was then great joy in the city. There was great joy in the city. 
So notice, it's not just about being in the presence of God, but when you do the work of God, when you preach the gospel, when you see signs, wonders, and miracles, it produces joy. It produces joy. Now, the reason I brought you back to the interlinear is because in the Greek language, this is the word kara or kara as it's actually supposed to be pronounced as you see the, the punctuation mark, or it's not a punctuation mark, but you can see it's a I forget the name of it, but you know you know what it means. It puts an accent on a letter so that you know to emphasize it in the syllable. Kara is the, the word that's used for joy. So if we were to click on that word, you know, and go into the Strongs and say, well, what does Kara mean? Well, you're going to actually find out it means joy, <laughs> delight, gladness, a source of joy. And so you can then again look through these word studies. That's why these websites are so helpful because all in one place and for free, you can go down and look through these different word studies. We see it's the word kara, and you can see there's the phonetic spelling so that you know how to pronounce it, kara, and it means joy or delight, and its usage is joy in English, gladness, or a source of joy, and it'll show you different places where this word kara is used in the New Testament, uh, and you can see it. Here it is, kara, another feminine noun from the word kar, to extend favor, to lean towards, to be favorably disposed. Uh, the awareness of God's grace, favor, or joy, grace recognized. Uh, and so it takes you through all the different words. You can go through the uh, the uh, exhaustive concordance, Thayer's Greek lexicon. You can go read what it has to say about it there. I mean, all, look at all this stuff that you get for free as you're in Bible Hub or you know Bible Gateway. I'll give you one more website here in a, in a second. There's Strong's. Um, and here's all the different forms and transliterations. Uh, of the word. So you just, you don't just have uh kara, but you have Quran um, down here, Karas. Um, Karin is, is another one. And so you can see the different forms, but you, you go down through, it shows you all these different places where it's used in the new Testament. All of these things, extremely helpful as you're studying a word inside of a verse that you're trying to study. And so that's why it's important that we have like word for word uh, studies, you know, word or word for word translations, I should say, of the Bible, because we're trying to find out what did the Holy Spirit actually uh, inspire the writers to write. And so I hope I hope this is helping you today, because when, when you're looking to study the Bible, you want to know what the Bible actually said. That's why it's good to have a word for word. And uh, to answer your question, um, earlier, we're saying, well, if, if you want uh, a word for word translation of the Bible, then why is it that you don't use the NASB or something more uh, literal than the ESV? Well, it's for usage purposes, because uh, if you're in church and you decide you're going to read 10 verses of scripture back to back to back, an entire passage, you want somebody to be able to understand clearly what you're saying. And it's a lot easier, and this is just my opinion, but I think it's been proven just even through the understanding of grade levels of writing. It's a lot easier to read a full chapter to somebody in church from the NLT, I mean, just grammatically, than it is the ESV, but it's easier with the ESV than it is the NASB, far easier with the NASB than the King James Version. So what are we trying to do? If I'm, if I'm in church and I'm reading passages of scripture, if I say, all right, let's read Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. Well, it's going to be a whole lot easier to do that in the ESV than the NASB or the you know King James Version. In fact, 
and I don't, I don't really necessarily want to get into this fully before we pray, but you think about the fact that we have the problem of what's called double translation. And you may have heard your pastor or a preacher do this, is that they'll open up like a King James Bible or a New King James and they'll read. I've done it. I mean, I had, I've, I've done it because I grew up on the King James. So a lot of the verses that I've memorized in my spirit come from that Bible, that translation. And so it's like I was preaching this last week and I said, uh, you know what the Bible says, Romans chapter eight and verse 11, uh, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he shall quicken your mortal body. Well, then you have to sit there and explain to everybody what quicken means because nobody uses that word anymore unless they're talking about a computer program to do their finances. And so then you got to do what's called double translation. Okay, I just read the scripture to you in the King James with archaic language. Now I have to say, all right, now, what did he mean? What did Paul mean when he said it shall quicken? What does that word mean in the, well, how do we use it today? And I still have to do that if I quote it that way. But then if you go and look in uh, Romans 8, 11, in the English standard version, it's going to give you a, a little bit of an easier way of understanding this. Listen to Romans 8, 11 in the ESV. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So the ESV renders it, he shall give life, not quicken, but give life to your mortal bodies. And that's what it means. He shall give life. Quicken actually means, if you look in the original Greek, it means to give life or to raise to life or to strengthen. One translation, to startle and bring to life. So, I want to get away from that issue of double translation. So I'll use a translation of the Bible when I preach or teach that's going to be as literal as possible, but I'm not going to sit there and, uh, and and try to go through wooden a wooden reading of long passages of Scripture. And I like the NASB. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love it. I, I use it for Miracle Word University uh, when we're studying doctrine. But to answer the question, why would I do that over something more literal? That's why. Because if I'm preaching and I'm talking and I'm teaching... I want to I want to be able to do it in such a way that as I'm reading passages of scripture that are longer, you're not going to tune out and be like, my God, I don't even understand what he's talking about. I, I want you to grab it, grasp it, understand it, and be able to press in with it. And so that's why I, I use it. And of course, as I said, I like the NLT. Nothing wrong with it. I know people give it a hard time because it's a thought for thought translation, but these were serious Bible scholars that took time. Uh, and, and and listen, they have, they're godly men that want you to understand the Bible. They're not out to take verses out. Uh, maybe I'll deal with that in another broadcast because people say, well, these newer Bible translations, they're taking verses right out of the Bible and they're not even there. You can even see it'll go from verse 19 to verse 21. Verse 20 is gone. And if you've ever heard that, put something in the comments, a hand up or something. If you've ever heard say, well, newer, newer translations of the Bible are taking verses, whole verses are being taken right out of the Bible. It's antichrist, brother. If you've ever heard someone say something like that about newer Bible translations, put a hand in the comments because you hear it said, but it's not what happened and it's not what's happening. And I'll, I'll need a whole broadcast just to explain that to you. And so uh, but it, it's it's not that the newer ones are wrong or bad or anything like that. There is a scholarly reason why you'll see some of those things. And once again, don't use the passion of the message. <laughs> Get out of it. They're, they're paraphrases of that. Someone's idea of what the Bible should have said or something. I, I don't even know. But even like I said, with the new living, you're going to get footnotes. You're going to get footnotes at the bottom that are going to explain to you 
And it'll say something like this. Some manuscripts include verse 20, which says, and then it'll tell it to you. If they were trying to hide the word of God from you, they wouldn't put it in the footnotes for you to see what it says in some translations or excuse me, some manuscripts. So I'll take, I'll do another one. If you guys would be interested on that, I'll do another uh, broadcast at some point and we'll explain these Bible translations and why there's supposedly verses that are missing from the Bible. They're taking them out, brother. They're trying to, they're hacking up our Bibles with a machete. No, I'll explain it to you. But I want to pray because we're coming back tonight at seven o'clock and uh, I want you to be ready for this because I'm quickening your spirit. But the reason I give you this, as your home, you've got time. You've got time to be with your family. You've got time to um, you know, study the word of God. You've got time to pray that you, I mean, a lot of extra time that you wouldn't normally have. Take, don't waste the time. Take the time. Take the time. That's why I'm encouraging you. Study the word while you're home. And topical study of the Bible is one of the easiest that you can immediately get involved with. Start doing some topical study of the Bible. I can't remember who it was, but there was a uh, there was a preacher that I was listening to, and he said that to study to study the 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 Bible every year he would buy himself a new Bible, and for that whole year he would do a topical study on the Bible. I think it might have been Mike Murdoch. He said that he would buy a new Bible in January and say, all right, this year for all 12 months, I'm going to just study the love of God or, or study love. And then he would take his highlighter and in the Bible that he bought for that year, he would study Genesis to Revelation and just begin to highlight scriptures on love, study love. And that would be his Bible on love. Anytime I went back to references notes, everything in that Bible is going to be geared to love. But the next year he may, he might go on to say, well, I'm going to go on and in the next year buy a Bible and this I'm going to dedicate to studying the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through the whole Bible, study the person of the Holy Spirit. And then in the New Testament, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then just would take the time. What I've done, because I use a digital translation, obviously I, I'm using my iPad a lot to study. So one of the cool things that you can do and that I'm doing is that as I'm studying through the word, and this is just a suggestion to you guys, one of the cool things you can do is choose different highlight colors for different subjects. So something that you're going to immediately, your, your mind's going to snap to. So let's say, for example, you did um, uh, prosperity or, or the study of finances in the scripture. Use a green highlighter to, to know that, okay, this is a scripture I was highlighting uh, about prosperity. It's in green. If I want to do something on, um, let's say, love or whatever, do pink or red highlighter in your iPad. Or even in your Bible, you can buy highlighter packs. And, and everything red you know is about love or the love of God, whatever. Let's say you're going to do something on miracles. And so orange, all of the things you have for miracles is highlighted in orange, you know, whatever. But just color code it if you want to. That way, you know that as you're going through your, because obviously you can't buy <laughs> a new digital translation and it's, it's once you have the ESV, you have it. Um, but it allows you to make notes to yourself. It allows you to, allows you to put highlight features that are different colors. That's right. Yeah. My wife used to have one of those, the rainbow Bible. And it was like all of the different um, topics were colored differently. And I think she still has it somewhere here in our book, in our uh, library the rainbow Bible. And it basically topically shows you by color, um, you know, what, what, uh, it's talking about. So those are just a couple of tips that you can use, but start in today. I mean, by the Holy spirit, 
Luanda makes a great point, especially in the time we're going through. Protection, divine protection might be a good study, a topical study. I've already helped you get started on it because I wrote Blood on the Door. And it's a whole book on the protective power of covenant. This is a topical study on supernatural protection in every area of your life. Start there. I even have to go along with this. And if I could find it, it's up there in the library. I have the, the study guide that goes along with this. And so the study guide is available on our website and online. Grab that and start your topical study on protection, divine protection by the power of God. And, uh, and I'm encouraging you because why? The word of God becomes strength to your spirit. Jesus said, the words that I give you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. And so I want you to fill yourself with the mighty word of God. It is one of the ways, I taught this last night, it's one of the ways that we build supernatural strength in the spirit. Last night, if you missed, by the way, if you're missing these, don't miss these spirit of faith sessions. Don't miss these spirit of faith sessions. Last night, I taught on how to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And uh, I dealt with that, that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is the belt of truth. It's what prepares your feet. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The word of God is your belt. The word of God is your shield. It is your sword. It is your, it's what you walk on in your feet. And so tonight we're going to come back and we're going to uh, hit Spirit of Faith session again at seven o'clock Eastern time. If you're watching from another country, that's New York City time that we're going to be doing it. And you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, but I want to pray for you before we go, because one of the things that changed my life when it came to Bible study was the Lord instructing me. He said, pray the prayers of Paul over yourself, the prayers that he prayed over the church in Ephesus. And I turned there and I began to read what Paul wrote. And I, I learned this from Brother Hagin. And he said, anywhere you see they or them or you or whatever, he said, insert your name. And so I did that. And I said, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened. And the first time I ever did that, never had tried it before. I had given myself an hour to study the word. And I was going to go through John 1 through John 10. And I had my notebook ready to take notes. I sat there and God opened up my eyes in the supernatural realm. I saw stuff I had never seen before. And I filled my notebook. I must have scribbled eight, nine pages of revelation. And I looked at my watch and it was just over an hour. And I had not yet gotten out of the first chapter of John. John chapter 1. And I'm, I'm telling you, it changed me. When you couple prayer with your study of the word, prayer with your study of the word, God will open up your eyes and let you see things <clears throat> that will blow your mind, will blow your mind. And so couple your study with prayer and say, Lord, open the eyes of my understanding. Give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation and he'll do it. And as you do it, take notes, remember what you're studying. And that's why topical is a good way to study because it actually builds your knowledge on a subject in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, so as you're reading, let me give you, Allison's asking, how do you do that with Ephesians 1? Look for they or them. L let me read it to you and I'll show you what I do. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter one, he prays the prayers for the church. Starting in verse uh, 15, listen to this. 
The Bible says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward the saints. Verse 16 is where the prayer starts. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering your prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto me the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having my eyes of my heart enlightened, that I may know what is the hope to which he's called me and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in to me. I'm, the, I'm in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward me who believes according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him in his own right hand, heavenly places far above all rule. So you read and you start praying and put yourself in that place. And as you do, God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You'll see things you've never, never seen. And I know this has been helpful to you, but start, start today and dig in to what the word of God is saying. Dig in to the Bible. Why? It strengthens your spirit, puts you in a place of supernatural strength. But I want to pray for you right now before we go that God would open up the eyes of your understanding and strengthen you as you study his word, fill your body with strength, fill your mind with strength, fill you with peace, fill you with joy, as Jeremiah said, fill you, fill you to overflowing. Father, in Jesus' name, make us hungry, make us hungry for the things of your spirit. Make us hungry for your word. Your word declares that blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. And so I'm asking you, Lord, make us hungry people, hungry for the word of God. And I ask you today that as we continue to study your word, open the eyes of our understanding. Let us see what we've never seen. Let us understand what we've never understood by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. And as we study it, strengthen us to do what we're called to do. Don't let us miss out on our purpose, our destiny, but put us in position by the mighty word of God. We thank you and we give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, would you follow Eduardo's lead? He sowed a seed. Thank you. Love you, man. Appreciate you very much. There's a powerful evangelist that's holding meetings, different nations of the world. Tons of people being saved and healed and changed by the power of God. He's understanding the power of seed. I want to encourage you to sow a seed today. Those of you that are watching, you know how to do it. Hashtag donate in the comments if you're on Periscope, Twitter, or Facebook. You can always go to miracleword.com and sow a seed there and partner with us. Carolyn and I have prayed and asked the Lord to join us with people that are serious about seeing the word of God around the world and the power of God manifested, souls being saved, people being healed and changed. And if you're one of those, I want to encourage you to stand with us as a miracle word, mighty man or woman, believing God for change before Jesus comes. And all you have to do, go to miracleword.com, click on the partner tab, and you can join us monthly. If you'd like to sow a one-time seed, you can do that too. You can, uh, we're, we, I mean, every way that possible that you can think of is, 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 uh, is available. PayPal, Cash App, uh, um, Venmo, uh, hashtag donate, miracleword.com, any way that you want to do it. Even if you'd like to send a check via snail mail. <laughs> Andrew says that we should be doing a giving slide button for YouTube as well. So what they can do, like the super comments or super chat or whatever it's called. Uh, we may add that as well, but it's so easy to sow. And I want to encourage you to do so. Anytime you release a seed, God honors that faith. You give in faith, God honors your faith, and a harvest is coming back. I've made up in my mind, I refuse 
to go sink lower and lower and lower. Every year, my life, my ministry, my family will go higher. You've got to make up your mind. The exact same thing will be true for you. Every year, a pigeon, if you want to just tape your offering to a pigeon and let it fly to South Florida, whatever you got to do. But believe God that this is going to be a year of increase. What have we been saying? 2020 is a year of violent increase and expedited favor. That's true for you. It's going to be true for me. And God's going to touch us financially. We're going to see increase on every side. I can already tell you the first quarter of this year has been the best quarter of any year that we've ever had in the history of our ministry without question, without question. And so, <laughs> go deeper, Papa. Uh, and, and so it's going to be the same for you. We're confessing, we're believing, never-ending increase, violent increase, expedited favor is going to be your story in Jesus' name. I love it because even in these times where people are all panicked, all confused, let me tell you, these are the times God can show off and send you ravens metaphorically. I mean, he did it literally for Elijah, but I'm talking about a means of provision where it looked like there is no provision. How does it start? By activating God's system of sowing and reaping and releasing a seed by faith. So as you do that, let me just tell you, for those of you that are doing it this month, we're going to be sending you this powerful book by Brother A.A. Allen, Changed His Life and Ministry. It's changed mine, my father's, many that have read it and abided by the principles that Jesus showed him as he showed up to him in his prayer closet and, uh, and told him what was expected of him if he wanted to see miracles, signs, and wonders. It's our gift to you this month as you're sowing a seed of $85 or more. And uh, I'm thankful for you. Of course, as I said, this amazing Bible study tool that I got to show you a little bit of today uh, is going to be something that we're sending to those of you that sow $1,000 or more in this month of March. You're standing with us at, in partnership at $1,000. I'm going to sign this to your family as well as send you the book. Um, and I know you'll appreciate it. And there's so much. I wish I could do a whole session just on how to use those. Maybe I will one day, but it will bless you abundantly. Good morning, Ted. Ashley, love you. I guess I should say good afternoon now. Uh, we're there. Love you too, Mike. Any questions before I go today? I'll take a few questions uh, before we go. And then I'm coming back tonight. Don't forget that this is what we're doing until the Lord says stop. The Spirit of Faith Sessions. Every night, 7 p.m. You don't want to miss it. I saw that, Ed. I saw that. You don't want to miss it. Eduardo went to the store yesterday and got blessed with $400 at the store. It does work. It does work. And his wife is, she hasn't given birth yet, has she, Ed? She's, she's like at, on the verge. She's like at the, at the final stages. Yeah, Miracle Word Kids. That's awesome. Four out of six kids participating. That's right. I keep forgetting people are watching from all over the country and around the world. It's only 9.06 in uh, California. But right now it's, it's 6 o'clock. In Africa, it's what, five o'clock in the UK? Or, yeah, five o'clock in the UK. Um, any questions? Five more weeks. Man, she's right at the end. Right at the end of, I'm sure she's ready, ready to give birth. Um, do these study resources teach location history? Great question, Luenda. Uh, yes, you can get that kind of stuff. And that's one of the things that I really liked about the Life Application Study Bible, because when I was going through, like when you go into these, um, see if I can teach you this. Okay, so here is the book of Esther. 
you just start the book of Esther and it also gives you this. I don't know if you can see it probably. There it goes. It gives you a map so that you can see the area that is being described in the book of Esther. So as you're going through and you're studying, um, it shows you, and it's titled here, The World of Esther's Day. And then it gives you the map, shows you the important places that take place in the story and the study. And, uh, and not only does it give you the notes, it does give you context of history, gives you the maps, all that stuff. So there's a lot, a lot of resources available in these, in these tools, and it's amazing. It really, really is amazing. Any more questions before we go? Thank you, Summer, for sowing a seed. Love you guys so much. Appreciate you. And um, those of you that are sowing in other platforms, whether you're on the website, Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, whatever you're doing, maybe you're mailing a check. Some people still do. I want to say a big thank you to you. We love you. We appreciate you. And we pray for you uh, on a weekly basis. Those that are partnering with us, we're always praying for you. And we love you so much. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate you reading the book. Those of you that are reading Blood on the Door, thank you for getting it. Thank you for reading it. We love you a lot. And uh, I'll be back again tonight. Don't forget, 7 p.m., Spirit of Faith Sessions. I'm going to leave you with a preview of Miracle Word University. And, uh, and we'll see you again tonight at 7. Have a blessed day, and I'll talk to you soon. So in this video, I want to quickly show you something that I was speaking about in a previous video, and that is when we were talking about the measure of faith, uh, one of the warnings that uh, I give you and that you find in the scripture is to not exceed your measure of faith. And there's a reason that we talk about this. It is I mentioned in the uh, previous video that it's damaging to you if you try to operate outside of your measure of faith in the same way that it would be, uh, I use the analogy of going to the gym. And if you tried to lay down on the bench press and put more weight on the bar than your body can handle, although you might be able to get to that weight one day, you're not there today. And so trying to operate in that level of strength when you're not there would end up being damaging to your body. If you didn't injure your uh, shoulders or strain your muscles lifting that weight, you would actually just drop the weight on yourself and maybe crush your chest. And so it's important to understand that you should never exceed your measure of faith. As we showed you in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says God has apportioned or dealt out to every man a measure of faith. And so it's important that you understand that you are currently at a certain level of faith. And uh, as we read that, uh, I'll read it to you from the NASB in this video, uh, Romans 12, 3. The Bible says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So there is a measure to your faith. It's at a certain level right now. You should never try to do things that are beyond that level. I'll give you an example of that in a bit, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, 17. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Listen to this. Paul writes, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. 
and so I direct in all the churches. You see that? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. So don't walk outside of the manner in which God's called you and assigned you and purposed you. Let's go on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Listen to this. But we will not boast beyond our measure. You see that? We'll not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. So understand what Paul's teaching here. We're not overextending our measure. We're not going beyond what we should be doing. We are operating within the sphere of our apportioned measure of faith. It's important to stay within your measure. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, the Bible says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then finally, let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. The Bible says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So from these verses of scripture that I'm reading you, you can see and understand that there's a measure of faith in which, in which you're currently standing that God has blessed you with and that you've grown to that level that, as Paul taught, you should never try to operate outside of your measure of faith. And one of the ways to ensure that you never operate outside the measure of your faith, and this is so very important to listen and adhere to this thought, one of the best ways, and I'd say it's the best way to ensure you'll never operate outside your measure of faith to the harm of yourself, your family, your ministry, whatever, is to only ever do what God called you to do and only ever do what he is directing you to do. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.